0: I'm going to ask that you take God's word in your hands. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you or the chairs. Uh, Near you just pick up that Bible. We love to pick up God's Word and to teach through God's Word just verse by verse And we've been going through one of the 66 books of the Bible uh, That uh, is before us and we're looking through the uh, book of 1st Peter a New Testament book that was written approximately 60 to 64 AD about 30 years after uh, the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ it was written by a man named Peter had come to be one of Jesus's closest disciples a man who had endured great times of greatness this man had walked on water this man had been used by God to drive out demons but we also as many of us know in our own Christian life that comes with times of greatness also come with times of great disappointment and we know that Peter had had some moments in time of being a disappointment not only to himself but to his God Now Peter's writing this letter, again, some 30-some years after the life and death of Jesus Christ, and he's writing it to a group of people that are in modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to these different churches, and he's telling people how to live in this world that sometimes is not all that warm to Christianity, sometimes not warm to the claims of Christ, but that they were to live upright and holy lives amidst the difficult times around them. And so he writes this five-chapter letter. Uh, In your pew Bibles, you can find our passage before us on page 1016. And we've been studying this, and we've been learning that Peter has reminded us of the great salvation that the Resurrection Sunday, that Easter Sunday now gives to those who will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. We've learned as Christians that we are called to be good citizens and good husbands and wives and good employees because Peter will tell us in chapter 2 of this letter that we are called to live submissive lives as we submit to God we're also called to submit to the earthly authorities that are around us and then he has been hitting on this issue of suffering and one of the reasons why it's so important for us as Christians to understand suffering is what Peter has told us now in first Peter chapter 3 verse 18 he tells us that Christ also suffered and we celebrated that on Good Friday the suffering of Christ who went to the cross who died on our behalf that he might three days later on Easter Sunday rise from the grave and give us the hope for tomorrow and the opportunity to be called the children of God now we've been studying this text and we studied it in great depth last week, but I want to come back to it and finish up where our discussion laid off. And I'm going to read our passage before us this morning, and what I'm going to do is read from First uh, Peter 3, I'm going to read verses 18 and then jump down to verses 21 and 22, and that's going to be our text this morning. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, Peter goes on in verse 21. Uh, notice at the end of verse 21, he says, All of this is done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, it says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected. To him. Can I just take a moment and pray for our time in the Word? Father God, we come before You and we pause. We pause to remember that You are the risen Lord and risen Christ. We pause to remember that You went to the cross to die for my sin and the sins of those in this place. And Lord, I pray that as we pause and reflect on that, that we would do just as these Uh, Four people in the uh, second service here and and three in the first service have said and that is Christ You are the most important thing Christ you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords And so Lord I pray for the first time guest who may be cynical to this whole church thing to the person that that finds himself coming every once in a while to the longest of attenders Lord that we would all leave this place reminded of the truth that you reign forevermore. And we are so thankful for that this morning. To you be the glory from all that is said from this point on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along as we continue in our series Strangers in a Strange Land, uh, you can follow along uh, with the sermon insert page that's in your bulletin. I want to focus our passage this morning just for a couple moments. I know many of us have places to go today, but let's center our time this morning under the heading, The Great Debates, Who is the Greatest? Now many of you have no doubt followed and no doubt many of you also have heard that the Miami Heat basketball team has been on quite a tear. They've won 27 games in a row up till last Wednesday. When they entered into the United Center and our Chicago Bulls put an end to that streak. Now, this last week, as uh, they were coming up to uh, almost the record 33 games, uh, their team, led by perennial All Star LeBron James, had started to get a swagger. There was this sense that they were a team of dynasty, a team of great destiny. Now, they had just secured last year their first NBA championship and what was beginning to be said because they've been so dominating in this last year is the question that their all-star LeBron James is he the greatest basketball player to have ever played the game well that subject matter came up on ESPN radio when i was uh, driving to a meeting and the great thing about talk radio, especially sports talk radio, is they can talk for hours about something that has absolutely no uh, real focus or determination of, of things in this world. What I mean is they talk a whole lot about nothing and you're mesmerized by it. That's, that's the gift that they've got. And what began to be talked about here was a nationwide a t- table of, of people were on the program and they were asking the question, is LeBron greater than Michael Jordan? And they said, well, if we're going to have this discussion, then we need to understand how does one calculate greatness? And they began to say, if we're going to have a criteria, we all have to have the same criteria as to what shows us greatness on the basketball court. And they started to determine what I think is a good criteria. They said that we need to look at their talent. That is, what were they as an individual player? What did they bring to every game that they played? What were some of the highlights that they brought? Then the next thing they wanted to talk about was the numerous triumphs that uh, either LeBron or Michael had. And so they began to talk about the uh, different competition that each of those players played against. The, The abilities that these players had at making the players around them better. And then they started to talk about that with every athlete, you have to talk about their hardware. You've got to talk about the trophies. And for a moment here, I just want you to humor me and to see how we come to determine as to who the greatest basketball player is and so our two candidates are LeBron and Michael of course both in their own right great ball players but let's see how they stack up because they're both incredibly talented players well, at the age of 28, we've got Kobe Bryant up there. He's another great player. But we're going to focus in on Michael and, and LeBron. Both of them have each got one championship ring. They've won the championship trophy. Of course, uh, Kobe's got three, but he had Shaq. So we're just going to throw him out to the wayside. But notice that the points and the stats of each of these players are very similar they all score around 20,000 points if you look some of them more steals more blocks than others but because of their position and the teams that they played on they're really close but here's the thing I want you to notice under uh, uh... let's see here LeBron at the bottom the very bottom stat in the center thing you see 755 games played let's look at Michael Michael played almost 200 games less and he has the same statistics. Michael wins the statistics game. He is greater than LeBron. Now, let's just continue on here. We have to look at the hardware. So let's look at the next slide. We see LeBron James. Now, to be fair, this was before LeBron had won the NBA championship. And so, for you younger guys that think LeBron is so great, I just want to be fair. You got to add one championship trophy and an MVP finals uh, award to it. Kobe, and he's done really well, but as Michael says, children, please. (laughs) I mean, there's no one on the basketball court that comes into the same spot. And LeBron isn't even close. And so I'm going to do a quick survey this morning, and I got to tell you, it was really close in the first service, so let's see what happens in the second service. How many think that LeBron is the greatest player to ever play? You know, it's funny, there was one guy in the first service who thought it as well, and he was about the same age. How many think Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time? All right, so let me tell you all this. On Easter Sunday, none of this matters. (laughs) All right? And this is to prove a point. What I liked about this was that they were determining greatness. Can I tell you what Peter's telling us in our text today? Is that Jesus Christ is the greatest, and I'm going to tell you why Peter says he is. And so what I want you to walk away from this morning... Where this is the first time you've been in church or you've been here for a long, long time, that you would walk away this Easter Sunday, walking away, If someone says, hey, what did the preacher talk about this morning? You can look him in the eye and you can say that Jesus is the greatest. He always has been. He always will be. And that's why I live for him. That's it. That's the ballgame. And so Peter tells us, That Jesus is the greatest. Now, I I need you to move back uh, to another passage of Scripture for a moment to understand where this comes out, because I'm gonna do it according to my friends at ESPN. I'm gonna look at the talent that Jesus had, I'm gonna look at the triumphs that He had, and then I wanna look at the trophies that He receives. Those are my three points. We'll go through them quickly, and then we're gonna end our time in a word of prayer. So, the first thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus is the greatest. Peter tells us this. Because of the talent that Jesus has. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts this morning. If you're following me in a pew Bible, turn to page 910. To the page 910. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. Now, Peter is an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He has been with Jesus. And Peter, at times, has answered the question as to who the greatest is. Now, I want you to know something as you're turning to the book of Acts each of us are gonna ask this question at some point in our lives and the answer to this question for many of us is I'm the greatest you're going to look at your life and you're going to say as I look at my life I do a pretty good job now you say Tim I'm not that bold to say that Tim I'm not that vain to think that I'm the greatest well then let me ask this question where do you turn when life starts throwing you curves? Where do you go when trouble comes your way? The answer to that is gonna determine who the greatest is in your life because as you turn, you're turning with the hope that whoever you're turning to is gonna be able to address your problems that befall you today. For some of you, you turn to yourself, you turn to your pocketbook, you turn to uh, uh, the things that you've amassed, your job, and my hope and prayer is that for the first time today you'll stop and say, I'm not the greatest, but Christ is. And so let's see what Peter says. Peter tells us after walking with Jesus, he stands before thousands of people on what is called the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Christ has died, been buried, and rose from the grave. Peter is gonna announce to thousands in the streets of Jerusalem that Jesus is the greatest Now, I want you to know there's something incredibly important to understand here 50 days before this Peter was running away from little slave girls because he could not say that Jesus was who Jesus said he was and so he focused in on what he wanted to do he focused in on what was gonna save him from all kinds of mockery and that. And now we have something transpire in Peter's life. The answer to it, the reason why he can't answer a servant girl on the night of Good Friday, whereas he can now stand before thousands in the streets of Jerusalem, is Peter had seen Jesus at his greatest. He had seen Jesus rise from the dead. And so here's what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter stands and he announces to the people of Jerusalem and he says, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ the man. Luke tells us that Peter says he's a man from Nazareth. People no doubt knew the town of Nazareth. They maybe knew someone from Nazareth at that time. And what we are told is, why in the world would Peter make such a fuss about this Jesus? Why do we make such a fuss about this Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago? What in the world did he do that would make him the greatest? The answer is, he was a man who was attested by God. That word attested means literally accredited what it means is he was approved by God I want you to know that the God of the universe Peter says puts his stamp of approval on the life and work of Jesus Christ when God is asked the question who is the greatest God looks to his son and he says it is Jesus Christ he is the greatest but notice it isn't that he just approves Christ as the God man but he also approves Christ in his ministry. He says that he was attested, he was accredited, he was approved by God. Well, how did God do this? He did it by through Jesus allowing mighty works and wonders and signs to be done through him. Peter says, I was there. In fact, many of you were there, Peter says to that first century crowd, you had seen Jesus and you had heard him teach. He had taught words that brought life and, and brought hope. You saw Jesus uh, uh, when we were hungry, take five loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000. You saw when the lame and the blind came. When those that came with uh, demon possession, they would come broken and Jesus would make them whole again. You remember, I remember when that, when that took place. We saw it with our own eyes. What God was doing through Christ was proving that Jesus Christ is the greatest by doing this incredible ministry. And who can forget, in a city called Bethany, not too far from here, Jesus would call out to a grave and he would say, Lazarus, come forth. And that guy that had been dead for days walks out alive again. Peter says, people of Israel, Jesus is the greatest but notice it goes beyond that it wasn't that this man was just a great man who died a real bad death who had done some great things as a humanitarian as a teacher but then found himself really at the end of it falling apart no brothers and sisters notice what he says in verse 23 and 24 he says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men But God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. The reason why Peter says to the people in Jerusalem that Jesus is the greatest is because he is the one who is risen from the dead. You see, you and I, we're all going to die. And we're not going to be able to rise from the grave, but because of the power of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb that saved us from our sins the grave couldn't hold them and as a result of that he rose from the grave you see had there been no resurrection Jesus would no doubt have gone down as a hall of famer he would have been known as a great teacher he would have gone down as a great prophet but we like so many other religions of the world would be remembering a dead leader But brothers and sisters, the difference between Christianity and every other faith is we don't believe in a dead leader. We believe in a risen Savior. So this is what we then get to in 1 Peter chapter 3. So turn back there. Again, if you are having difficulty, page 1016 in those pew Bibles. And notice what he says in our text. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, This Jesus has gone into heaven, he's at the right hand of God, and he has angels, authorities, and powers, verse 22 says, been subjected to him. So we've looked at who Jesus Christ is, and we see that he was a man who taught great things, that God attested to him, accredited him as the son of God allowed him to do great and marvelous things here on earth. He went to the tomb, and yet he came out walking on that third day. Now notice the triumphs that make Jesus the greatest. Peter announces three truths that we need to understand. Number one, we need to see the place where Jesus now resides. It says he has gone into heaven. Now let's stop there for a moment. This Christ who was raised from the grave, spent forty days walking and talking eating and teaching the disciples he's serving them he appeared to 500 believers at one time this wasn't some secret thing this was something that was being announced in jerusalem christ had been raised from the dead and what we are told is in acts chapter one peter and the disciples are taken after these forty days to a high place where Jesus ascends into heaven. And two men clothed in splendor and glory announce to the disciples that this Jesus as he has gone up, well where has he gone? This Jesus whom we've crucified who went to the tomb now is residing in glory. With a resurrected body, he is the great deposit guaranteeing that one day you and I who are made alive in Christ will spend eternity with him. Now, what is he doing now in heaven? Since his ascension, we see not only the place where he resides, but we see the position that he received. Peter tells us, notice in verse 22, he's gone into heaven and now he is at the right hand of God. Now you may think, okay, he's at the right hand of God, and so what God has made him is his sidekick. I mean, Michael had Scotty, okay, maybe that's what it is, and Robin, of course, was with Batman. And Tonto, who can forget, he was the sidekick of the Lone Ranger. So Jesus must be the sidekick of God. If you think that, then you don't understand first century culture in the first century there were two places of prominence at every gathering especially at banquets the host of the gathering would sit at the head of the table and he was an important figure in fact he was the one who had paid for the food he was the one who had provided the place for the party to take place he was the one that made sure everything was all in order so that the guests may enjoy themselves at that gathering but when the meal was set at the table and it was time to sit down the, the host could honor someone and that honored guest would sit at his right hand what that means is is that when the host said this is the honored guest in first century Greek and Roman culture what that meant was is that guest of honor was equal to the host he was to be praised as the host is praised He was to be the one who the people at the meal were to be talking about and to announcing His goodness and His honor was to be spoken of. When Peter tells us that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, once again Peter is saying that God is telling you and I. He's saying, listen up people at Village Bible Church on Easter 2013. This Jesus, who was crucified, dead and buried, who rose from the grave, now is ascended into glory, and he's sitting at my right hand and I want you to know because he's sitting at my right hand he is equal to me he is to be as praiseworthy as I am and you are to speak of his honor as you enjoy the benefits of what I've given you and so what we need to understand is God once again puts a seal of approval on Jesus Christ now notice it is the place where he resides it's the position that he received now notice finally the powers that he rules The reason why Jesus Christ is the greatest, notice, the competition can't stand with him. There's nobody that has any authority over him. Notice Peter says that now he is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. What Peter is saying is, anybody you can think of in the seen and unseen world, no one's greater than Christ. No one's better than Christ. No matter how much money you've amassed in your bank account, the amount of great work you've done in your workplace, the accolades you get from your school, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're the king of the universe in this world, the President of the United States, no one stands in comparison to Jesus Christ. But also in the unseen world. No demons, no angels, No authorities or powers, not even the devil himself, can touch the greatness of Jesus Christ. He resides in heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he reigns supreme over all things. Now let me stop there for a moment as I finish up my message this morning. And let me ask you this question. Do you see Jesus Christ that way this morning? Don't look at the person sitting next to you. Don't wonder what they're thinking. I'm asking everyone, and not just the new people that are here this morning. I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm putting all of us on the spot. Tim, do you see Jesus as this? Because let me tell you something. When you look at Jesus this way, it will change the way you live. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is as great as Peter says he is, then we're going to put all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our allegiance is going to go to Christ. It's going to change the way that we live in such a dramatic way. And so let me ask you this morning again. Do you see Jesus as the greatest? Can I tell you there's a day coming? There's a day coming when you're going to be asked a question with regards to that you're gonna stand in glory and the issue that is going to either consign you to a place of torment in a place called hell or to spend with eternal blessings a place in heaven will be in this life was Jesus the greatest thing was he the greatest because let me tell you something on that day of judgment the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord But when you kneel at that moment, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Christ is the greatest, that He is the name above all names, that in that moment, if that's the first time you're articulating the greatness of God, it'll be too late. And so what you need to do this morning, what all of us need to do, is we need to bow the knee to Jesus He is the greatest. He is the risen King of Kings. He is the risen Lord of Lords. And if He's greatest and He's God, then that means I'm not so great and I'm not God. And what that means is I need to bow my knees to Him. So what does He give when we do so? Notice the trophies of His greatness and grace. Numerous times throughout the book of 1 Peter Peter shares this phrase, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every time that that happens, when he says through Jesus Christ, I think what Peter is announcing is yet again another uh, piece of hardware, if you will, for Jesus. What I mean by that is what happened because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead was that he enabled a trophy. And two of them, I believe, that he gives to us and one that he keeps for himself. Now the two that I want to share with us, we see this in our day and age when a championship game has just concluded and someone is picked as the champion. And what happens is is those athletes call down from the stands their family. Come and celebrate with me, and you'll see the stars of the basketball or the football field or or the football team or the baseball team call down to their wives and children and say, Come celebrate with me. And you'll see them on their shoulders as they're getting interviewed. How are you feeling? And there's the kid on dad's shoulders, and he's just enjoying the wonderful privilege of being a champion because his family was on the field. Christ also, by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, got trophies and he wants to give trophies to us the first trophy that he wants to give is seen in first peter chapter one verse three the first trophy that he gives as a result of his resurrection is hope for the hopeless in verse three of chapter one blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope how How can we have hope, Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? The reason why we rejoice, the reason why Easter should be the greatest celebration of the church is we who had no hope, who had no answer, who had no ability to have a bright and glorious future ahead of us because of our sin and because of our hopeless nature of being enemies of God, Christ gave us hope by dying on the cross for us, taking care of our sin debt, and then allowing us in one fell swoop because of his resurrection from the grave to have the hope for tomorrow. Because he lives, I have the hope for tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that his blood has taken care of it. That the hymn writer says, life is worth the living. Just because he lives. And so you and I can have hope. We can have hope for tomorrow. We can have hope over trials. We can have hope over tribulation. We can have hope over a broken heart. Why can we have hope? Because Jesus Christ took care of our biggest problem. The Bible says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It was swallowed up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been born into a living hope. Number two, he gives help to the helpless. We can't have hope unless we're holy. And we can't have holiness unless Christ makes us holy. In 1 Peter 1.21, he says, who through him we have been made believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope may be in God. Well, how did he do that? Chapter 2, verse 4 says, As we come to Christ, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house so that you might be a holy priesthood in order that you may offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable To God through Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. And just simply put, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I put your sins onto my sacrifice on the cross. And thus, you are made as white as snow. And because of that, now you have access to God. You have the opportunity to be brought to God, not as a sinner who needs to be uh, dealt with in a judgment way. But now you've been brought to Christ holy and righteous, to enjoy the privileges of now being a part of the family of God. So let me ask you this morning, do you see yourself because you see Christ? Do you see yourself now hopeless in your sin, helpless in your sin? And the Bible says, what are we to do? This is the ball game. What you do is you honor Christ as the only headliner. What that means is Christ must become preeminent in our lives we have to see Jesus as the greatest because if we don't see Christ as the greatest then someone else will be and so what we need to do is we need to live a life you need to make a decision this morning just as these individuals did in the baptismal tank behind me they made a decision once and for all I'm a sinner in need of salvation I can't, approve, I can't get salvation on my own. I can't be approved by God unless Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb that was slain on my behalf, that by faith I receive Him as my Savior, as the sacrifice, and I allow Him to be the greatest thing because He truly is that. And I'm going to believe it by faith. When you do that, 1 Peter 4, 11 says this, that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ and it is to Jesus Christ that belongs all the glory and dominion forever and ever amen Easter is the exclamation point that Jesus Christ is the greatest let me tell you the saddest thing that can happen this morning that you could get out of this pew or the chair that you're sitting in walk out and enjoy your mom's ham and never come to a place where you bowed your heart and your life to the greatest there will ever be. Because apart from Jesus, as we read in our scriptures this morning, there is no salvation. Give your life to Christ this morning. Before you leave this place, come talk to me. I'll be happy to share more of the gospel with you. Go to the Welcome Center. There are people there to answer questions. Grab the person next to you and say, I hope you know Jesus because I need him. Don't leave this place without once and for all agreeing with our God in heaven and Peter in this book that Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is the risen Lord of lords. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people this morning. I pray that in the workings of each and every heart that's represented here today, that a supernatural work would be going on. Lord, I pray for those who have followed Jesus for a long time, and I pray that we would not grow cold, we would not grow timid, we would not grow feeble in our life's calling to prove to the world and to show the world and to announce to the world that you are truly the greatest there's ever been and that we have put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, I pray for those that have walked into this place. Maybe they don't don't come very often, Lord. We're glad to have them. But Lord, maybe they've come today and they're cynical. Maybe they're coming with lots of questions. Lord, I pray that you would speak and that you would show yourself as the greatest. And that because they see you high and lifted up, because they see that every angel and every dominion and every authority has been placed under your feet, that they would recognize that they too need to be placed under your feet. And that you are to be their Lord. You are to be their Christ. Lord, I pray they wouldn't leave without having a full assurance that that is true in their lives. Lord, we're so thankful for the cross. And Lord, today on this great and glorious Easter morning, we are so thankful for the risen Lord, the empty tomb. It is the hope for our every need. And so, Lord, I pray that we would leave this place and around our tables and around our gatherings later today, that we would be open. And we would be willing to share that Jesus Christ is the greatest. To him be all the glory. To him be all the honor. To him be all the praise. We love you, Jesus, and we're thankful for the life that you've given us. Now let us live in light of that truth as we leave this place today. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.